Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking with, well, you're going to be talking with me. It's a solo podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com. Here's what I want to let you know. You guys sent in a ton of voicemail questions, and we didn't get to talk to, we talked to Coach Harvey Hyde on Sunday. Didn't do any questions. We did a lot of questions with Dan, uh, but I wanted to have a special podcast just to address Mostly your voicemails. We have the, we have some written email questions and stuff too. So we're going to do all of that today here on the Peristyle podcast. Um, you guys know how to send in your questions. I know you're doing it really well. If you have any questions on that, peristylepodcast.com, our phone numbers, email address, all that stuff is on there. I just go there. I won't give the full on intro. You can get us on iTunes and Google Play and all that kind of stuff. But I want to jump right in here. Uh, lots of talk around the USC message boards on uscfootball.com. If you don't go to those, check them out now on the Peristyle. That's the busiest one in the world. As far as USC message boards go, go check that out. Um, lots of fans talking about lots of different topics. Uh, people assuming that Clay Helton's going to be fired tomorrow. People are saying, no, he won't be fired till the end of the year. People are saying, no, he's going to be around for two more years. USC fans have lots of strong opinions on what's going on here. Uh, I don't think anyone's real happy with being one and three. Um, we'll see. I mean, they got to play another undefeated team this weekend in Arizona State. They're on the uh, cusp of the AP rankings coming in at number 26. They have the highest scoring offense in the Pac-12. USC has the lowest scoring offense in the Pac-12. Now they play different schedules. And all that, but, uh, it's, uh, it's not going to get any easier. This was supposed to be the easy middle stretch of the season. We called Utah a must win. Is Arizona State a must win? I don't know. I mean, one and four, one and three. I think the, the big difference would have been two and two versus one and three. If you're two and three and you beat Arizona State, I mean, I, I don't know how good USC fans will feel. One and four, do you feel a whole lot worse than one and three? Probably not. So I don't think, I don't look at this one as some kind of must win situation. I really felt that. Being two and two for that really hard opening stretch would not have been a bad thing for USC, but, uh, obviously one and three where the Trojans are now, uh, people are not exactly happy about that. Um, okay. So before we jump in, I wanted to thank our sponsor for this segment, uh, Dollar Shave Club, and they've been great. Um, I just started using them. They sent me, uh, my first shipment. Uh, a few weeks ago, and I'm not a big shaver, especially now that I, when I had a real job, uh, when I was an engineer and I went into an office every day, I would shave every day. And, uh, now I don't, I can work at home. I work in my, my office where I'm doing this podcast right now. And, uh, so I don't shave as often as it, but now I got this cool stuff and I'm shaving more, which is, that's a, the best testament I could give to it is that it's making me shave more. So I don't know. I just don't, not a big fan of the, the shaving thing, but I don't like going around with a beard. It gets scratchy. But I just like wait for it to grow for a while and then I shave. But now I'm shaving more and it's Dollar Shave Club, Shave Club. So you want a quality shave. You do not have to choose between price and quality. Go to dollarshaveclub.com. It's the answer. They'll give you one month free. They have amazing razors. They deliver right to your door for about a third of the price. 
If you go to a grocery store or something and buy razors, it's ridiculous. You don't have to pay that. And these are awesome razors. I love it. There's all different kinds of stuff. The shave butter I use. Um, there's an aftershave deal. Uh, and uh, the, the body scrub I'm using. So there's all kinds of cool products. So you can customize it to what you want to get. And uh, it's awesome. So here's your chance. Three million people, over three million people use Dollar Shave Club. They love it. They're so confident in all of the quality of the products that you can get your first month of the club free. All you got to do is pay for the shipping. After that, it's just a few bucks a month. No long-term contract. No hidden fees. No reason not to do it. Get yours. DollarShaveClub.com slash USC. So DollarShaveClub, shave club, excuse me, dot com slash USC. You'll get your first month free. Uh, it helps support us here at the Peristyle Podcast. So check it out. DollarShaveClub.com slash USC. All right. Um, you know, before we jump into these voicemails, I want to read a couple of, uh, questions that we got, um, that from emails and we'll do the voicemails. We'll, we'll b- kind of bounce back and forth between the one, but we have one from Athens, Greece. And uh, I don't know if you, if you go around, if you follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy or on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash uscfootball.com, but you spell out dot dot com. Um, we try to do these Facebook live feeds, uh, at games, sometimes at halftime, after games. We do it sometimes after practices too. Um, we had people, uh, at the last game, uh, well, I think it was, yeah, it was up at Stanford covering the Stanford game. We had people on, I was in the press box before the game showing like the band warming up in on the live feed. And we had people from all over the world, uh, from Asia, from Europe, all, I mean, everywhere, you know, say, Hey, we're watching, we're watching your, your live feed. So it was kind of cool. So we love the international stuff. We love that there's USC fans all over the world. And this is one way for them to get their, uh, USC football fix. So we, we, we love it that you can do that. We appreciate you listening and writing in and, and watching our feeds and all that kind of stuff. But so we had a question from Athens, Greece. I wanted to read Dimitri, who's a class, USC class of 2000. He said, Peristyle team. With Utah's first three touchdown drives going 12 plays, 59 yards, 10 plays, 85 yards, 11 plays, 75 yards, eating up over five minutes per drive. Uh, what is it you think made Coach Houghton believe his defense could stop Utah again and electing the punt on fourth and three from the Utah Fort 37? Is this a sign of a coach who is not completely aware of the conditions of his defense? Or is it a sign of a coach not aggressive enough uh, to go out and go for the kill? Thanks for all the hard work and fight on. Uh, Dimitri in Athens, Greece, class of 2000. Okay, Dimitri. Um, so I heard Clay Helton's explanation of this three different times. Uh, after the game, uh, on his conference call, he did a Trojans live broadcast on Monday. I listened to that too. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, so in his mind, I think each time he tried to, I think he started to realize how everyone was questioning it. And so he tried to like explain it more each different, uh, media event he did. And the one on Trojans Live, which is the latest one, he said, you know, if, if we were down three, I would go for it every time. No question. But up three, the difference between, and he said, the, the first time he said, he said they would have to go 95 yards, which was wrong. He said that, you know, if, if we go for it and don't get it, they go 30 yards for field goal. But if we can pin them deep, and he loves uh Tilby, and he thinks he's great at pinning them deep, and he did, um, then they have to go 60 yards. So that was part of his explanation. But I, I agree. I think it's more of the way that, that Utah's offense have been going. I mean, 30 yards, 60 yards. I don't think it really matters. You're talking about five minutes of clock. 
you have the ball. Your offense is playing better than the defense. You have the ball in your hand. You have a tailback that's running for 12.6 yards per carry in Justin Davis. Um, and you could have uh, questioned the spot, which he decided not to do because he trusts the Pac-12 reps. I think, to me, it's more about when you hear someone make an explanation, would you rather hear the coach say, well, if we don't make it, this could happen, or the coach saying, we wanted to make it because then we iced the game and we're, we're, the game's in our control. So say they went for it and didn't get it. Um, and then they go down and kick a field goal and tie it or whatever. They have a shorter field. There'll be questions for the media. Hey, why did you not punt? I, well, actually, in that case, they might not because it's kind of, it's a 37 yard line. It's like, come on. Um, that's so no man's land. That's just not, that's not where you punt. You don't usually punt from the 37, especially in critical situations. But anyway, You'd rather have the coach, you know, you are, an aggressive coach is explaining why he tried that, why he did the riskier play. And the more passive coach is explaining why he didn't do the riskier play. And you're seeing the latter for Clay Helton. And I think that's just where he is. He's not changed his, that's, you know, I think he's a lot of the times and you know, you hire someone that, you know, maybe he's a little over his skis. He's co- it, it, at times it feels like he's coaching to try to like, save his job or do the right thing as opposed to I'm just going out there balls out coaching to win. So yeah, I think there's, I think it's a little bit of all that Dimitri. Sorry if that's kind of a long answer, but um, I've heard his explanation like three different times and you know, I, I don't agree with, it. I think that's a situation where you should go for it. Certainly you should have um, uh, questioned the spot there too. Neil in Manila, another international question. This is the other side of the world. You got, how far is Manila from Greece? Mm. We're like 8,000 miles or something. Okay. Do you guys think there's a chance that, uh, Helton will eventually go away from punting, go away from what, uh, going away from punting and going away from what works? And wouldn't it help more to, to, to get fined criticizing referees other than kissing their butts? It's frustrating waiting all off season only to see this dumpster fire. Thanks again, Neil and Manila. Um, I see, so I don't think so. I don't think Clay Helton's got to change his philosophy right now. I think it's, he's all in. He's trying to be the head coach at USC. He was given an amazing opportunity. Didn't never begrudge anyone from taking an amazing opportunity. Nothing of this is on Clay Helton. If you don't like Clay Helton, you have to talk about the administration that hired him. Clay Helton's doing what he thinks is best to try to win football games. And yeah, it's probably a little bit more of a conservative approach. Yeah, he's, probably trying to not make waves and I don't want to upset the referees. So he's erring on the way other side is not only I'm not going to make waves, but I'm going to compliment them, which really upsets uh, USC fans. And uh, you know, it's the whole punting thing. I don't know. Is it confidence? I, I, I don't think if you look at the situation and you look at the way your defense was, I think the football, no matter what you feel like football wise, if you look at, even if you pin them deep, Utah's been driving the whole length of the field, five yard drive, five minute drives every time. Field position doesn't matter all that much. It's more about, hey, we got the ball in our hands. We're moving the ball. We haven't punted yet in the whole game. Let's just not punt this time and keep going. Um, you know, you saw Utah go for it all those times on fourth down, two, you know, twice on the final drive. So I think that's just more of a philosophy thing. And will he change that? I, in the middle of this whirlwind thing, there's so many. Um, when you're a head coach for the first time, you're dealing with so many new things, things that you've never had to deal with before. It's got to be overwhelming. And that's a, one of the reasons why you're a big program. You don't hire a first time head coach. You hire someone that 
has learned all those things, all the problems that players come up to you with, and all the ticket, all the stuff that's going on, you've learned it already, and you have a system to deal with it. So Clay Elton doesn't. So I think he's probably so overwhelmed right now with everything that's going on, besides the record, just just having to do the job. So much is involved in that. I don't see him changing philosophies, uh, if that's a, a good way to put it. Um, yeah, I think that's just too much. I mean, like an off season thing, then maybe he would rethink it and go back and decompress and, uh, get, you know, debrief and, and go, you know what? In these situations, it's probably better for us to go for it. Um, in these situations, if the ref screws us, it's probably better to say, I don't want to talk about the referees. I don't want to get fined. And then everyone knows you, you hate them and you think that they were terrible. Uh, as opposed to, the referees are amazing. They do the great. I just trust them to make the right call. Um, that's something that I think would, he could learn in the off season. Does he get an off season to learn from that? I don't know, but I don't see that changing during the season. Uh, along those lines, let me play you this voicemail. Hi, Ryan. This is Manny and Chino, class of 82. My wife was talking about a moral victory after watching the game, and I seriously contemplated the benefits of being a widower. This game highlighted the difference between an experienced coach and what we're currently dealing with here at USC. Kyle Whittingham challenged his players to win. Clay Helton challenged our players not to lose. When we lined up for the field goal, I thought we should have taken a chance and gone for it. When we lined up for the punt, I thought maybe we should have gone go for it. Turned out to be right. Enough said. Anyway, take care and enjoy your evening. Bye-bye. All right. First of all, I can't advocate you becoming a widower because of oh, your wife's suggestion it was a moral victory. Um, that's <laughs> We do not endorse anything like that uh, violence here on the Peristyle Podcast. Um, but, yeah, no, I think there was a different philosophy. Uh, this is Kyle, Kyle Whittingham's done an amazing job. They haven't won the Pac-12 South yet, and this was his opportunity to do so. USC stole it last year. They came out and they were going to do whatever they needed to do to try to win this game. And I agree. It was, it was more on US, the USC side was kind of coaching not to lose. Like, well, we, if we do that, they could, they could beat us. So we were not going to do that. And, you know, it's not like that philosophy can't work. We saw Stanford, you know, Brian, uh, David Shaw punt on fourth and one with like under five minutes left against UCLA. And that ended up working out, you know. Um, I didn't really agree with the decision at the time, but I think it's a different team and stuff too. And, and what you trust and how the game's been going in this situation, how the game's been going is your defense hadn't stopped anybody in the second half. You have very limited possessions. Don't give up on one. You know, this was, he talked about not running Justin Davis because they only had three possessions in the second half. They had a fourth at the very end, but well, I mean, that's another reason to, Hey, we got a possession. We don't get a lot of these. Keep the ball. And, uh, and keep the procession going. There's a, there's a lot of benefits to doing that. Uh, but don't, don't talk about <laughs> becoming a widower, widower because of something your wife said. Man, that's pretty dark. We don't want to be dark here on the Parastyle podcast. Uh, let's go another voicemail. Here you go. Hey, Ryan, Robin, Ukiah. Um, just have a question, actually a comment regarding our coaching situation right now. And I'm not going to address anything regarding Utah specifically because Everything's been discussed that I already pretty much agree with, so I can't really add anything in that regard. But if you look at our schedule, our coaching staff, 
against our opponents' coaching staffs. Which coaching staff do you think that we are we have a better coaching staff than our opponent out of all our teams? I could honestly say that I don't. I, I think that we can be outcoached in every single game. But look at the talent. We've, USC's got arguably the most talent out of everybody that they play. And that's the problem. So we've got great talent, but we don't have great coaching to go along with the great talent, which USC needs. Anybody knows from history that USC does need the right coach to succeed. If you look back at the past, so there's our problem, and we need to address it quickly, or else things aren't going to get any better. Anyway, fight on. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks, Rob. I think uh, that's a really interesting point. Um, which coaching staff would you ch- would would any coaching staff in the Pac-12 or any president, say any uh, athletic director in the Pac-12, would they trade their coaching staff for USC's coaching staff? I'm going through the list. I'm not finding any that that would pop out to me that they would, um, which is pretty sad, where maybe all of them would trade their rosters with USC. So that's about as big of a discrepancy as you can get. Um, but even like places like, you know, Mike Leach at Washington State. I mean, you know, he's won a lot of games. They're struggling up there, but would you rather have, you know, would Mike Leach, would they, would Washington State rather have Clay Helton or Mike Leach? No, you want Mike Leach or, or Rich Rod or, uh, you know, Gary Anderson, who was the head coach of Wisconsin that came to Oregon State, you know, Chris Peterson. You think they, no way, they're not taking that. No, you know, maybe Mark Helfrich. Uh, I don't, maybe they're not so happy with, with him. I don't, I mean, I'm not sure if they would look at that as an upgrade to go to a Clay Helton. Uh, but yeah, looking up and down the Pac 12, I mean, Mike McIntyre just won a game. I mean, they're, they're seem to be going in the right direction in Colorado. Um, you know, Jim Moore at UCLA. I, yeah, it's hard to, that's a good point. I don't know if you're any other Pac 12 school, would you trade your coaching staff for USC's coaching staff? Then ask them, would you trade your roster for USC's roster? Right off the bat, like eight teams would instantly do it, and you probably get the the other three. I, yeah, I mean, like, I, yeah, it's uh, that's good. That's a good question. Good point there. Um, let's see, Eric and Duck Country. I'll read you this question: Do you think competing with the Rams for spectators will influence a coaching change, at least at the coordinator level? Uh, by the way, I just signed up for the War Room, and it's totally worth it. Great work is always Eric and Duck Country. Well, thanks, Eric, for becoming a USCFootball.com member. We appreciate that. You get the war room and everything else. The Peristyle is the, the bit. You got to check out the Peristyle. That's the awesome message board. Lots of great stuff there. I mean, posts every minute basically going up there. Rams. Okay, so what impact would the Rams have? Um, well, we're going to see USC plays for the next five games at home. Uh, we didn't see a great attendance mark for Utah State. I do not think we'll see a great attendance this weekend, uh, for Arizona State. The Colorado game will be, uh, an earlier game, uh, on Pac-12 Network. Not sure what that's going to be like. We'll see. Um, but I think attendance will be hurt mostly by what USC is doing, not as much by what the Rams are doing. Um, uh, but it's a factor too. I don't think that would force I think it's more of the boosters and the pressure that Lin Swan and Max Nikias are going to get where changes could be made. And I don't know. I, I, I honestly, if a change happens at, at 
at the head coach. I don't think anything would happen until the end of the year. Just the way Lin Swan is going about his business, he has to come in and try to learn. Because you hire an inexperienced athletic director, you have to learn on the job. I think it would be very hard for him to fire someone in the middle of the season. But I think he's capable of doing it at the end. Um, now, could there be some forced coordinator stuff going on? I mean, I think you brought in Clancy and it was a big deal hire. I can't see, I can't see Clay Helton getting rid of, getting rid of Clancy Pendergast. Maybe the T Martin thing, he gets demoted or, and moved over. I think that's, if there's a coordinator change, I think that would be it. I think he's very happy with John Baxter. So I don't think he would change the special teams thing. Uh, if anything, it would be on the offensive side, uh, of the football, Eric is, and I don't think the Rams really would have much to do with it. It's more just like kind of the pressure from the USC side. All right, let's go to another voicemail. Here's one on the defense. Hey, Ryan, this is uh, Andrew calling from Montana. This question is for the coach. Hey, coach, I was I wanted to get your uh, your insight on the, on this question I have. Um, when it comes to this defense, what do you think the problem is? Uh, we've constantly seen this defense give up big plays. We've constantly seen this defense have broken plays. Uh, an example, the Christian McCaffrey long touchdown pass, um, as well as miscommunication. Do you think that when it, when it comes to identifying the problem, do you think that Clancy Pendergast uh, coached enough well? Or do you think it's the players? I know you like to defend the players. Uh, and and call them kids and every and every you know I, I respect that, but at some point if they're not understanding something, you know, they need to get they need they needed to, uh, to uh, be able to take some of the responsibility for that and, um, you know they're getting one of the best educations in the world, you know and if if they're not understanding this what's going on, uh, I think that's uh, you know the players need to take some of the blame as well, um, but tell me what you think about that. Thanks, fight on. All right. Thanks for that one. Um, I'm not the coach. Obviously we didn't, uh, have, have the coach take questions, but I thought I would like give a, give you a shot at this one. It's hard to be critical of players and saying, Oh, that guy was loafing. Whatever. These are players that dedicate so much time to football. Yeah. They're getting a great education. They're not getting paid. Um, I don't think they owe <laughs> players don't owe fans anything. Um, I mean, they're, they're out there, blood, sweat and tears doing this now they're on a high profile program. You're going to get criticized. I have no issues with that, but you know, I, there's, there's a, there's a fine line there. So you just want to like, just throw out these unpaid players and talk about them like they're professional players. You want to argue that a NFL running back is not practicing hard and dogging it. He's getting paid a couple million bucks a year. It's like, okay, you can do that. Um, for this case, not really, but so the defensive side, there's certainly mistakes are happening. Um, there's been some blown coverages, blown assignments. And I think if you watch Arizona State, what they were able to do last weekend, offensive scheme wise, they're able to confuse you. They're, they're get guys open. We saw, um, you know, we've seen the USC defense be susceptible to biting on certain things, um, and giving up a big play. And I think that's part of the problem, but you saw too that, um, there wasn't a great pass rush. Who is the great pass rusher for USC? You thought like maybe Porter Gustin or something, but there's not really some kind of elite pass rusher on the roster. And the fact that, uh, Stevie Tuikolovatu could come in and start right away, um, 
you know, I, I think that says something. I, you know, I think there's some talented young defensive linemen. Um, but you also have a rookie defensive line coach, you know, does that, so you got a guy that's never done it before trying to coach up some young dudes and get them ready. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. You know, I, I like Kenichi Udezi a lot. I mean, he was an amazing player. I just don't know much about him as a defensive line coach. And Pete Jenkins was, you know, the veteran was there helping him in the fall, uh, but hasn't been around since game started, uh, since the first game of the year. And now he's at LSU with Ed Orgeron, who was the interim head coach there. So yeah, it's, uh, I think there's a, a few different things. And, you know, I think it, this is normally an aggressive kind of scheme. And if a, a coach isn't calling an aggressive game plan and he wasn't doing that late in the game, there's got to be reasons for it. And I think a lot of the times those coaches' reasons are they don't trust certain players to do certain things. Uh, we saw Utah schematically, they lined up, you know, they ran the ball the first 12 times of the game and USC was in a nickel defense. I think almost every one of those plays and 90% of the game or so they were in a nickel defense. And, you know, when you're playing a team that's running the pounding the ball at you, usually, you know, if you're playing Madden or some, you know, uh, uh, video game with football and you're picking a defense and the guy's just pounding the ball at you. You're not in a nickel or a dime. You're in a goal line or something or something, a five man front, something like that, where you're trying to put in beefier guys to, you know, control the line of scrimmage and stop the run. So we're going to have to ask Clancy Pender back gas about that this week. Um, Cause it wasn't very aggressive. That third and 10 Utah had late in the game. He blitzed. Uh, there was a you know, forced to false start penalty. They did blitz on the third and 15 and end up picking up 14 yards. So yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a good, I think there's a lot of different things, but usually when a coach is not calling what, what fans would look at as an obvious thing, like, Oh, shouldn't, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? It's because they don't trust a player or a group of players or a package or whatever to do that. So they don't, he didn't trust the, the base defense as much as he trusted the nickel, even though that's a better, you know, schematic personnel. One of the guys in there or someone, they just didn't trust him to come up and make plays. So we'll have to ask Clancy Pendergast about that and see. All right, let's go to the next question. Hello, Ryan. Don again from Upland, California. Well, 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 watching the Utah game, I can honestly say different game, same crap. Meaning those three fumbles that USC had during the first half. You can't put the ball on the ground and expect to win. That's on the offense. And that 95-yard drive by Utah in the last six minutes to win the game when USC had them on their own five-yard line, inexcusable. That's what I'm talking about. USC plays and does things to lose. And that seems to be their culture right now. And if they expect to salvage this season, with a respectable win and loss record, they're going to have to change their culture. They're going to have to start doing things that will give them a chance to win. Don, Upland, California, fight on. Hey, Don, um, I love the analysis. They're going to have to do, start doing things that can make them win. Um, you're right. No, I think the culture hasn't changed. And I think they talked about changing the culture and you wanted to change it after Kiffin and Sark, but to hire Kiffin and Sark's assistant, that doesn't change the culture. That's everything's the same. You got rid of athletic director and you hire another former player inexperienced athletic director. 
Now, we can see Lin Swan will have a chance to change the culture. We just don't know much about him since he hasn't done this before either. But, yeah, I don't think the culture's changed. I think they're running the same kind of stuff. I think, you know, the same kind of support people are around. Clay Helton. It's it's the same. And uh, it's the same stuff, like you said. So, yeah, you're right. It's They wanted to change the culture. They made a hire that, if, if anything, it's going to keep the culture as close as possible to what it was before. That's not what you wanted. But that's what you got. So, Don, thanks for that one. Uh, you always, you don't sound very happy. Um, and a lot of USC fans aren't, but that's why I'm playing all these voicemails. And let's, let's play another one. Here we go. Hi, this is Al from, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I just want to say that, uh, I believe that, you know, a lot of people complain about the play calling and such. Eh, sometimes there is, but mostly what I see is lack of execution. And thank God we have a quarterback that probably would have had us doing better in the first other two games of, uh, of, uh, importance. But anyway, uh, a lot of times I see the blocking and I see the running backs a few times. They went to the right. There's a touchdown. Davis and Adore on his one carry. And so, and then the, the play calling would have been great if they would have executed that way. A lot of passes are dropped. Uh, Darnell is uh, fantastic, and some blocks were missed. But if they were executed again offensively, there would have been big plays. If they'd have caught the ball, big plays. Juju used two hands, big plays. If the tight end doesn't stumble and fall, big plays. There was big plays all over the place. So I'm sick of people blaming uh, the, the coaching staff for play calling. It's not play calling. It's execution, as far as I can see. And also, I watched this game over and over again, and I put it in slow motion so I could really see like I'm film studying, you know. What else do you do in PA? So anyway, that's it. I love the show. Fight on. We're getting better and better. Don't give up. All right, Al, thanks for that. Um, in Pennsylvania, I'm originally from Western Pennsylvania. Beaver Falls, where uh, Joe Namath grew up, too. Um, okay, so I disagree with you. Al on this one, as far as execution goes, execution doesn't, I mean, if USC executed better against Alabama, what would they have? Would have they have scored an extra touchdown or two? Like to me, it's more about offensive philosophy scheme, not necessarily the play call itself. Yeah. The play call is grab baggy. Like Dan likes to say, there doesn't seem to be a flow or a rhythm to it, but you're talking about, this isn't the NFL. Um, you're talking about college kids. You get 20 hours a week to work with them. If they continually can't execute the plays and we've seen the offense struggle, it's not just one game, it's every game. And it's gone back to, you know, the last couple of years with Sark and, you know, in the, you know, there's been lots of problems. That's, that's a you problem. If you're a coach, not a play, you can't just expect, Hey, I called this awesome play. We drew up this awesome play. None of the players are able to execute it in practice. They can't execute it in games, but it's a great play. Like, no, it's not a great play. If no one can execute it, like, I don't care what you're doing. You can have the greatest diet in the world, but if, if no one can stick to it, then who cares? So you need to come up with a scheme that fits your players, that's easy enough for them to remember and run, and allows them to execute it. And then if they execute your play exactly right and it never works, then your play sucks. You know, if, if you run up, you drop a play and they never execute it right, your play sucks. You have to get them something that they can run. Now, is it on the player? No, it's like, say you have a, you know, when you're having Max Brown doing all the zone read stuff, that's just silly. Like, 
why was the offense tailored to that where there's no option to run the football as the quarterback? That never made any sense. At least it makes more sense now with Sam Darnold in there. But I don't agree with you, uh, Al. I think it's not. I mean, there's there's execution issues. That's part of the problem. It's a smaller part of the problem. The bigger part is the philosophy and like whose offense is it? Who came up with this? Is it, well, Sark saw little pieces of this and he brought that in there and Clay learned a little of that and, and Lane came in and did some of this or whatever. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, so I don't, I don't, I don't buy that one. All right. Let's, uh, go to the next one. Hi. This is Al from, uh, PA. Uh, I just want to say that, uh, our biggest problem is our lines, period. The defensive line and the offense. The defensive line doesn't rush hard enough, especially in the second half, and the defensive backs and linebackers uh, chasing people all day. Deion Sanders and Erlacher couldn't couldn't follow these these uh, receivers all day. It just the guys, the quarterbacks just have too much time. And on the offense, again, most of the linemen miss blocks. I mean, it's not the it's not the play calling; it's just the blocking. And I, I'm not, well, I'm not going to name names because probably, won't. well, I'm a, you know, anyway, everybody should know. If you just look at the tape, the only one that's really doing a really good job to me is the center. Everybody else is whiffing. And, you know, so there you go. Uh, fight on. We're getting better. Hey, Al, thanks. And I, I know you had two questions in there. I did not plan to put them back to back. I totally forgot which ones. I didn't write down who said what. When I'm playing these. So, uh, yeah, I think that the line play, Al, has definitely been lacking. I mean, to get no pressure on, uh, on, you know, Utah, on Troy Williams, um, that was a problem for the USC defensive line and the front seven in general. And I think a lot of that where you're playing a nickel defense and you weren't really in these, you know, I don't know. It just, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't set up that it didn't look like the players were set up for success, but the players got to make some plays and stuff too. Um, on the offensive line, now they didn't give up sacks, which was good. Uh, you know, I think Sam Darnold helped with that because he's more mobile and you have to kind of account for that a little bit more. I think the offensive line probably played better, but it, it was pretty abysmal coming into that game. Um, you know, we'll see how they kind of go going forward. The schedule should get easier, but yeah, it's, uh, I think the line play on both sides has not been, uh, up to snuff, I guess you could say. Now, there's been some good individual performances. You know, Chad Wheeler got uh, singled out from Pro Football Focus about you know scoring really high. I think Stevie Tuikolavatu has played really well. Um, I mean, he had nine tackles in the game against Utah. They were running right at him for a while, and I think sometimes they wiped them out. You know, but other plays he wiped them out. You know, and and I think to get nine tackles from the uh, nose tackle spot, man, that's that's kind of crazy. Uh, let's see. We're going to go to, there's a schedule one. Let's play that. Hey, Ryan. Hey, you're doing a great job, uh, keeping the, uh, your fingers in the dike here. I really appreciate it. This is Mike from New York. Hey, I'm watching Oregon getting taken to the woodshed by Colorado. And I'm looking at our schedule and I don't see a lot of wins left. Colorado's O-line is everything ours isn't. It's fast. It's mean. It's quick. It's strong. I don't see us stopping their their run uh, at all. So when I look at the rest of the schedule, I don't see a lot of wins. I'd be curious to hear you or the coach or Dan uh, look at the future schedule and just exactly who are we going to beat. Um, you know, UCLA, Notre Dame, 
Huskies, the Arizona schools, Cal. I don't know. So anyway, fight on and keep up the good work. Thanks. Hey, thanks for the question. And uh yeah, that's it's USC schedule didn't get easier uh since it came out and the season started. It's only got harder. Did you expect Arizona State to be undefeated and scoring, you know, 48, 49 points per game? Um, Manny Wilkins is going crazy at quarterback. Uh, they got, you know, two great running backs. Um, you know, there's Arizona State can put up a lot of points. So I, I think for USC, the, the woes on offense really just not scoring. I mean, they're, I think, I think last in scoring offense in the, yeah, last in scoring offense in the conference at 22 points per game. That's going to have to change over this next stretch. Will playing worse defenses allow USC to score more points? That's the big question. Now with Sam Darnold in there, they looked better. They looked improved. Will it be, will it equate to points? Cause you're going to have to score points against Arizona State because they will. Cal scoring a ton of points. Um, you're seeing that Colorado, I mean, they're playing really well. They went up to Oregon and won in Eugene, you know, with a redshirt freshman quarterback starting for the first time. So it's, uh, I think it's a redshirt, yeah, but he's out of, uh, uh, El Paso, Texas. I believe he's a redshirt freshman. Um, you know, Cephalufal, uh, was injured and who knows by, who's going to play by the time USC, you know, if Cephalufal will be back or not, but, um, it's uh it's not easy. This middle stretch that you thought would be easier to deal with. Um Arizona, I'm not really sure, but Arizona State, you know, like you said, undefeated Colorado, Cal putting up points. Uh they beat Texas, you know. Okay, so that's that's something significant. And then the end of the season, you know, when you're talking about playing Oregon who doesn't look that good, so maybe they're not going to be as hard, but it's still still Oregon. Um they'll still do stuff that they do well, you better stop it. Um you know, Washington, they, they have a big showdown with Stanford this weekend. You know, they're undefeated. They're a top 10 team. So that's not easy. And of course, the rivalry games, UCLA and Notre Dame. Notre Dame's not very good. They're one and three, but there's still a lot of talent on the team. I mean, you can certainly lose the, you know, both teams are one and three. It's not like you have a big advantage there, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways this could go. And USC has to go five and three to make a bowl game. And it's hard to find. It's not like you could look and say those are all easy wins or any easy wins. There's not going to be any. The way USC's playing, there's no easy wins right now. They're all winnable though. Like you could win them all. You, I mean, would you be shocked if USC ran the table? I'd be a little shocked, but it's not like roster wise they don't line up with everybody. You know, they're at least even or better than everybody. So, yeah, uh, not an easy schedule. Thanks for that, Larry. This is a funny topic. Um, that, uh, I've, we got a couple regular questions on and this voicemail question. So let me play the voicemail for you and I'll read some parts of the other questions. Here you go. Ryan, this is Ray, Trojan Ray from Orange County. Um, I seriously have to listen to the Coach Hyde, uh, Sunday's podcast. Uh, you know, um, fired up. Uh, he's absolutely right. But the one thing that makes me nauseous is every time I hear what a nice guy Clay Helton is. We don't need a nice guy. We need a hard ass. Some guy that's going to get out there, kick ass, and win. 
plays play in politics, trying to be Mr. Nice Guy, wants everybody to love him. We don't need that. And why does he not run Justin Davis in the fourth quarter of that game? The guy's picking up six and a half yards to carry, and he doesn't give him the ball not one time. It's incompetent. The coaching staff is just immature as a staff, and Clay is just, he's, he's playing defense uh, with his job. And I think a change has got to be made at the end of the season. Thank you very much, and fight on, guys. Uh, thanks for that question. And yeah, it's, uh, I think that's a good way to put it. He is playing defense with his job because he, you know, he was given a job that was out of his league to be honest. I mean, that's just a simple way to put it. His resume did not match what the job description would be. He's given a job and he's playing it defensively instead of going out and just, you know, balls to the wall and just, Hey, we're going to try to win every game and just go crazy and go for fourth downs and what, you know, whatever we got to do. Um, He's not doing that. It's more of the, but, and we had questions from Rich and Dan, uh, class of 1962, all about Clay being a nice guy. And let me just be clear. He is a really nice guy. I mean, he is a, a genuinely nice person. Um, it, you know, you don't want to see anything bad happen with Clay Hilton. You root for the guy. He's just, he's a likable guy. There's, you know, it really bugs me when people, because they don't like the way the team is playing, they attack him personally. You can certainly be critical of the job he's doing. I'm critical of the job he's doing all the time, but I would never say he's an idiot or, you know, he's, it's like, you're not, I'm not going to personally attack the person. He's a, he's a, he's a genuinely nice person. And I think he's trying his best to do what he thinks is right. And, you know, a lot of times I don't agree with, with that. Uh, obviously a lot of USC fans don't either, but I don't want to be attacking the man, uh, personally. Um, Dan, so Dan brought up a, a funny thing. He said, Pete Carroll was also, was a very nice guy, but he could coach. I, I have a little, um, so the people that are writing in, I just want, they're both kind of long, uh, emails, but Pete Carroll was a gregarious guy. I wouldn't call Pete Carroll like a nice guy. Like Clay Helton is genuinely nice. Pete Carroll, uh, we've been yelled at him before uh i've seen other plenty of other people get yelled at if he he is so competitive if he ever felt or had an inkling that you said something that would cross him in some way you were going to hear about it and there were going to be words that you're not allowed to to say in front of children coming out of his mouth i mean he's a i think he's he's very generous he's i mean there's a lot of great qualities but if you Comparing the nice factor with Clay Helton, it's not, it's not even close. Um, but then it's like, what do you want as a coach? Mike Riley, you could argue how successful or not successful of a coach he is. Another one of those guys, it's genuinely nice. It's had, you know, I had a bunch of success as head coach, NFL, college. He's a head coach at Nebraska now. Um, his personality is a lot more like Clay Helton. Pete Carroll's is more, um, he's that, he's definitely could be a super hard ass, you know, but, He's the, a big rah-rah guy, big, you know, everyone's fighting, you know, fight on, they do this, blah, blah, blah. But anything like, but he's the one that would get you when you're like, wow, that guy just dressed, uh, dressed me, yelling at me because he thought I said something, whatever. Um, that's the kind of guy he is too. Very competitive. Now, what do you want for your head coach? I think you could be successful with any kind of personality. So to say that we don't need a nice guy, we need a blah, blah, blah. Um, no, I mean, I think. 
you can be a nice guy and still go for it on fourth down and stuff. It's not like you, it makes you soft as a person. Um, so yeah, so don't, please don't attack, uh, Clay Hilton personally. He is a very nice guy. He's a, and as Rich said, Clay Hilton is an amazing man, parent and mentor. And I agree with all that. His problem is, he said, but the problem is he's too nice to be a head coach for a team like USC that requires a strong, aggressive, and yet arrogant, and yes, arrogant head coaches. Um, I don't think you require that. I think that's definitely, we've seen successful coaches have that. I mean, Pete Carroll had a huge ego and very arrogant. I mean, yeah, I, I get that. I think the biggest issue with Clay Helton is if this was his second head coaching job, it would be very different. Um, the issue, the biggest issue I had was it's such a big job to be your first ever head coaching position that you just don't know how good of a head coach he was going to be. If he was the head coach at Western Kentucky for a while or, you know, Southern Alabama or whatever, um, then yeah, then you could like, then you, then you've dealt with 115 kids coming into your office, each of them with a different personal problem that you have to address and deal with. And you've dealt with, organizing recruiting for you know year round for a couple of years and understanding changing priorities and fitting your schemes and hiring and firing assistant coaches and uh, all of that kind of stuff all the the things you have to learn and go dealing with boosters and there's so much you got to learn to be a head coach for the first time to expect him to come in at USC and do it it's more than just x's and o's and all of that there's so much more to it that he's, he's learning on the job and he'll be learning on the job for a, a next year or two as long as he holds the position, you know? So I, yeah, I don't blame him, um, for taking it certainly. And I don't blame him for some of the mistakes because it's just, you know, you, you hired someone to do something they've never done. They're going to be learning on the job and that's what he's doing. But, um, he's definitely, uh, you know, one of the genuine people you're going to meet. Um, and I don't think that precludes him from being a successful head coach. I think the experience factor is precluding him from being a successful head coach right now. Some people could jump in and, and just do it right away. We saw Tom Herman down in, at Houston, but that's a, that's a, you know, not as big of a stage. Um, but he's turned that thing around and they're winning and, uh, they've lost one game since he's been there over the last, you know, season and a half. Um, and, you know, he learned from one of the very best though in Urban Meyer. You know, Clay Helton, it wasn't like he learned from these amazing head coaches. He was learning from Kiffin and Sark, you know, and both of those guys were fired mid-season. So it's not like he had some amazing mentor that he taught him how to be a head coach either. He had some extra experience with the interim stuff. Um, but you know, that's about it. It'll be interesting to see what Ed Orgeron does down there too. He's got a different personality and his personality's changed. He changed and, and, and that's what's, that's what's interesting about this. I was listening to Colin Coward today talk about Josh McDaniels, who's the offensive coordinator with the Patriots when he was the head coach of the, the Broncos and he had Eric Mangini on talking about, you can't imagine all the new things you're dealing with. Um, instead of a press conference once a year with four reporters, you're in an auditorium with, you know, room full of media. All the time, you know, stuff. I never had to do that before. I've never had some player come in and, and talk about trying to find his, you know, adopt, uh, you know, his biological parents. He found out he was adopted. I mean, all the personal things, all the stuff you're dealing with as the head coach, you plan out your day and, he, and Bill Parcell says five things a day are going to come in 
that'll change your priorities and you have to just deal with them as they go. Fires, you got to fight. There's so much as for a new head coach um, to do. And, I, I, you know, that's why you try to bring someone in that has some experience and, and has done it before. So, yeah, don't, I, I don't hold Clay Helton accountable for that. Um, he's got to learn. And, you know, you've never done it before. you got to learn. Lynn Swan's never been athletic before. He's got to learn. Are they going to all make the right choices because they've never done it before? You know, probably not. Um, but that's the direction that, you know, you wanted to go. Well, that was kind of a long rant there of, uh, of being a nice guy. I like nice guys. You know, you don't want nice guys to finish last. And Clay Helton's definitely a nice guy. And I, like I said, don't think it stops him from being a good head coach. There's other things and factors there. Okay. So let's see. We have, um, let me play you two voicemails. The first one is short. Hi, Ryan. It's Andrew from San Diego. I was just curious as to, when is SC going to fire Clay Hilton? Probably the shortest voicemail we ever got. And here's a, another side of that coin. I'm going to play this one for you. Uh, hi, this is Scott calling from London. Um, I'm as disappointed as anyone over the way the season's gone, and I lay most of the blame on the coaching staff, but I disagree with these fire Helton now people, and here's why. We ought to be a top-five job, but there isn't a top-five coach available right now. We remember Tailback U, and I love it too, but our recent success has come as a Heisman candidate quarterback program. Les Miles just got fired because he can't run a recruit for passing football team. Herman and Bryles get a lot of talk from the fan base, but neither is currently a proven top-five coach. Herman might grow into one, but if we want to get someone who is there now, it's not him. So, unless Chip Kelly gets fired by the Niners or the Dark Lord Nick Saban decides to throw away his Alabama career and come to the coast, there just isn't one available. So I say we wait. The thing is, we're unlikely to win the Pac-12 South right now, no matter what happens. Best case, we're looking to go to a, a bowl game where we play whoever comes fourth in the Big 12. So we've got nothing to win or lose. We might as well take our time and let's see what Helton can do. I mean, we all had a job where we were pretty terrible at it for the first week or so and later we were good at it now i don't know if he has it in him he's done a lot of good things there uh maybe he can maybe he can't but come december they're going to be a lot of good coaches who are looking for a job after a year like we're having already so there's just no rational reason to dump him now the only thing we can do is see if he turns into the guy that we want and also show the coaching market that we're not the team that fires you every year if you don't win, you know, because no one's going to want to come to that team. So we stay with Helton until the end of the year. That's what I think anyway. Thank you very much. Love the uh, international questions. London, that's great. Okay, so a few different points. That's one caller saying fire him right now and another saying uh, you should wait. So let me, you know, there was not a lot of dispute in the first part because it was very short. All he said was fire now, which I don't agree with, and we'll talk about that. Um, as far as Tom Herman, I do think he's a top five coach. I mean, he's, because of the pedigree, because he was with Urban Meyer, you won a championship there, turned Houston around. I think he's an A-plus candidate as far as A-plus candidates go. You could have got him last year, did not, which was silly. But, you know, he's doing the same thing again this year at Houston. It's nice that, you know, if you, if, if USC's making a decision in December, like you're saying, um, I think Tom Herman would be, a, you know, it's a top, not even five, top two or three. Like that's who you want. Like that's good. Les Miles, do you know how many active 
college coaches have won a national championship. There are four active coaches that have won a college championship. Les Miles was one of them. He's five. So he's in rare air. And I think if you're talking about putting him in Los Angeles, now some people hate it, hate the idea. You're talking about putting Les Miles in Los Angeles where he's the big dog. He's USC is a better job than LSU because you don't have the same kind of competition. You're good. As long as you don't screw things up, you're the, you're, you're the big dog. I mean, USC is the big dog of the Pac-12 on the West Coast. People want to go to USC. The top players in California want to go to USC. Just don't be a dumpster fire like USC's been. And you'll get plenty of talent and it'll be fine. Um, he'll, there's plenty of, you know, there's quarterbacks out here in California. I think it's just you have to make sure he gets a good offensive coordinator. And I think he would be, I think he would do a good job. Um, if USC would go and get a less miles kind of guy, he's not competing with Alabama and Auburn and Florida and Georgia and Tennessee for dudes. Like if he wants a dude, he'll probably get him. And you know, he'll right now, will his philosophy work or not? I mean, you know, it's hard to say, but we'll, I, I think you could, I think you could make less miles work and he's won a national championship. Uh, he's won SEC titles. Uh, that is not easy to do. There's not a lot of people in the world that have done that. Like I said, four active coaches right now. So are you getting Urban Meyer? Are you getting, uh, Jimbo Fisher? You getting Nick Saban? No. I mean, Les Miles, you know, he's up there. Um, yeah, I think Chip Kelly would be awesome too. And they should have went after him last year and they probably could have got him. And Chris Peterson would have been great too. So there's like, I mean, USC's just passed on people that here's what USC needs to do. And I think I tweeted this out. Don't hire people that other people don't want to hire. No one was trying to hire Sark when you hired Sark. No one was trying to hire Lane away from Tennessee when you hired Lane. No one was trying to hire Clay Helton when you hired Clay Helton. They wasn't, there weren't some hot head coaching candidate. There were the people that were close to the program. So you hired them. As long as USC goes out and hire someone that other people want, I think that's a step up and USC fans should be happy. Now, as far as firing, I don't agree you fire him now either. I didn't agree with the hire at the time, but once you hire someone, you kind of have to give them, at least give them a shot, you know? And do I, if looking at the team right now, my, my say is they're probably going to make a change. They should make a change at the end of the season. It wasn't the right hire. Could it have worked out? Possibly. It's not working out though, but what you combine the, it was questionable to begin with. And then the results are bad. It's not like if you went out and hired Tom Herman and he was starting off one and three, uh, or one and five, like Clay Hill is since the permanent head coach. I think you have to give that guy time. I mean, you, there's a, there's a pedigree there. There's a history. You want to see that change and that culture change come through and you're going to have to give him time. Um, you have someone that was kind of taking over the current culture. So it's like he's, he's been there for six years. Um, he's been around a long time. He's not changing a whole lot. So I don't see a whole lot of diversion from, or, you know, diversity from what we've seen the last several years than when he's been there. So it's given me enough information from that, that, Hey, unless he turns it around and runs a table or something, it's not going the direction you want to go. So USC should probably make a change as nice as a guy and as genuine a guy as Clay Helton is. That's my thoughts on the situation now. So I don't think making a change midseason is going to help a lot. Uh, I think you should at the end of the season. And I think there are top five, uh, candidates. So 
I think I addressed everybody's concerns there. Disagreed with all of you, right? Is that uh <laughs> um let's see. Okay, here's another. I think this is our last voicemail question. So many of them, but here I'll play it for you. Hello, Ryan. Hey, this is Ed Duncan up in the head desert. <clears throat> I haven't talked to you in a long time. Um I've been so concerned with what I see happening at USC, but I didn't want to call in with anything negative. Well, I tell you, I was reading some of the comments on what's happening at USC, and I'm wondering if everybody in USC um, family can see what's going on wrong at USC. Why is it the president of USC can't see it? We are wasting a 100 years of tradition that has built this into the great powerhouse in football that USC used to be. And uh, in the last few years, the stakes that this president has allowed people that he's hired to do is destroying this program. And boy, I just don't understand how men can make that kind of money and make the mistakes that they make. Anyway, congratulations to the players. I think they're playing hard. They're just under coast and under train. Okay, that's my take on it. Over and out. Hey, Ed, thanks for that uh, question. Yeah, no, I think you got to have, you know, Max Zacchaeus has to take some of the blame here. He's part of this decision process, uh, you know, bringing in. He brought in the next athletic director and said they did this big search and you end up hiring an alumni that's never been an athletic director before. So I didn't agree with that one either. And Lin Swan is a, a, an idol of mine. I mean, he was, I idolized him growing up in Western Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, we'll see. We, we just don't know what he's going to do, but. You know, there's so many people doing major jobs at USC that have never done them before. Um, it's hard to project all the time that they're going to do a good job there. But yeah, some of this has to fall on the Kias and people question how much, how important football is to him. You know, you want to get that $6 billion fundraising goal and build endowments and all that. And I think football success certainly helps, but is that a priority? Usually the fans priority are winning football games. I don't think USC has been hiring people with the priority of winning football games, to be honest. I mean, it's more about kind of keeping their little fiefdoms going, keeping their cultures going, having people that are going to be control that they can control and not, not going off script, not having someone come in that will change everything and screw up, you know, upset the apple cart. Um, you got to upset the apple cart. You got to come in and do that. So, uh, we'll see. I mean, we'll, we'll know more about Nikias and Swan as the season goes on. Uh, it could be a tough call. What if USC six and six and makes a bowl game? Do you want to make a change? USC's five and seven, didn't make a bowl game, underachieved by a lot. Do you make a change? Uh, whatever. I mean, we'll see. And, you know, Nikias and Swan will all be part of that. And we haven't heard a lot from Swan on this. Um, you know, he's really got to, it's, you know, for him, he's trying to learn <laughs> what's going on and, and, uh, you know, get a feel for everything that's going around USC. Uh, but it really hasn't a lot of time to do it. The, the, the team is in a, you know, it's just spiraling out of control and they're trying to right the ship. Um, and we'll see if they're able to get it at least going in the right direction this weekend. I mean, they could be one in four and, you know, one in six since Helton was hired with, without a win over a power five opponent. That's just more pressure on Swan to do something. And I know he's hearing it from the boosters and the alumni. Speaking of that, Matt and Camillo, uh, Carrillo, uh, Riverside, California. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Matt Carrillo in Riverside, California. 
He wants to know when Lin Swan will step up as the AD and say something about the current situation. Uh, if that be Hayden is our coach and will be our coach, has my full support, or I'm working with Coach Helton to help get this program back to the status it deserves, something to help the loyal USC fans to have some sort of idea of what's really going on. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, like I said, I think he's still learning as well. And uh, it's more for him, he's got to take it all in. That's why I think if a change happens, he's taking the whole season in and makes a decision at the end. Um, you may have answered this before, uh, and I may have missed it, but Notre Dame loses a few and fires half the staff. LSU starts at 500 and fires a historic head coach. Why do we stay with a one in five coach? I know there's much, uh, more to that, but the program as a whole has never looked so ill prepared before. And if we parted ways with Helton, who do you go after? So we talked about a lot of that. Uh, but I think the situation is different because he just was hired and it was kind of a defiant hire by Clay Helton. I mean, by, uh, Pat Hayden doing it in the middle of the season, taking the interim tag off. And since, and I think he did that because that's who he wanted to hire. He hired him after UCLA when, when USC fans were all excited. Um, and obviously since then, there's not been any excitement, only being in Utah State in that span. So, yeah, I think the problem is that Lin Swan was given uh, a debt, you could say. Uh, you know, he basically was handed over to a situation where Pat Hayden made a bad choice, uh, the wrong choice, the wrong timing for the choice, and really put Lin Swan behind the eight ball. So, yeah, I... I think we'll start hearing from him more towards the end of the season. We'll see. Um, but it wasn't a great spot for him to, to be in. And I think that's why you don't make a change now. Other programs, they changed, you know, guys that have been around for a while. They're, they're established. This is all, this is all new. So, I mean, it's hard to fire someone within eight months after you hired them. Uh, and that's what you'd be asking them to do right now. Let's see. Uh, Stephen Powell, I wanted to address, he talked about, he said, if last week's game against Utah was described as a, a must win, what does it make this week's game against ASU? Ironically, does last week's game take some of the pressure off of this week's game? And I, I address this, but I didn't give you credit there, Steve, for asking the question. I kind of forgot you did. I had it written down. I do think it takes some of the pressure off. I don't think this is a must win game anymore. One and three, one and four is like, eh, you know, they're already going downhill. No, keep, keep going downhill. Two and two, one and three, and, and winning the first game and being undefeated in the Pac-12 South. I think that was the must win. I think that was the bigger difference. So not a lot of, uh, differences there. Um, John, uh, Justin wrote in and said, I was giving it some thought. And what I realized is that you look at every successful coach right now and they fit into two camps, successful head coaches in their second or later incarnation as head coach, successful assistants with successful head coaches for many years. Saban, Meyer, Petrino, Stoops, Peterson, Moore, etc. Even going back through the history, Carol Holtz, Robinson, McKay, Bryant, Belichick, etc. All fit into one of those two camps. Regardless of which camp the head coach fits into, the assistant always is, the assistants always are overqualified, if anything, for the position they hold. And the athletic director is stable uh, by a successful AD. So we're all piling on Helton, but it seems to me that we created the worst case scenario possible. And are all surprised by the obvious results. Curious to hear your thoughts. Uh, love the podcast, Justin. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I don't think, I think a lot of us aren't shocked by that. You're right. Um, was Clay Helton a, a very successful assistant coach? I mean, you could argue that the quarterbacks didn't really get better when he was at USC. It's not like the offense was tearing it up and he wasn't a successful 
Uh, he didn't have successful head coaches to work under. So no, that, that criteria isn't met. And he, obviously this isn't his second incarnation. This is his first time being head coach. So that wasn't met either. I agree with you. I think most head coaches, when they say, well, this guy was an assistant. Well, was he really a successful assistant? Did he have amazing head coaches to work for? Yeah. Okay. Well, then that gives him a better chance for success. Clay Helton didn't have that either. Um, he didn't have successful head coaches to work for. So I totally agree with you. And, you know, the one point I forgot to bring up, and I can't believe I'm talking this long. Uh, when people talk about, well, USC is just, I can't, Tom Herman would never come to USC. They're in turmoil right now. Or why would a coach want to come to a place where you just fired three guys in the last six years or whatever it was like that? Okay. I get that USC fans, some of USC fans are defeatist and they look at, oh, the record's terrible. And why would a coach want to come here? Why would someone leave Houston to come to USC? It's like, okay, slap yourself in the face if you think that's the case. Um, listen to any of the national media people. We talked, Bruce Feldman talked about it. it's not only that USC is a great job. It's one of the best jobs. And the fact that USC has been losing and still has a ton of players and still brings in top recruiting classes is only more appealing to coaching candidates because it's less for them to change and less for them to do. Everything around USC is set up for success. They won Heisman trophies. They've won national championships. They got five-star guys up and down the roster. They have five-star guys in their backyard that they can pick from each and every year. They don't have competition. They're the best team in the Pac-12, and it's not even close, and there's the most tradition. If you get the right coach, and coaches know, if, if you're Tom Herman, you know you're the right coach, you don't look at those things that the USC fans are saying are bad as negatives. You're like, oh, I could come in and be a great coach and hire great staff and get them and and develop players. Can I get the players? Yep. Uh, are there players already there? Yeah. Am I the biggest dog? Like, do I have to compete against an Alabama or, or an Ohio State? No. Uh, is Texas in my division? No. You're the best. You're the best tradition by far. All of those things, someone like Tom Herman would say, that's why they'd be attracted to it. They wouldn't say, oh, they have, you know, Pat Hayden was the athletic director. and They just fired guys before. That's not coming into his, if he's going to, he's so confident he's going to be successful. He's, he's not going to get fired for being successful. You're only fired when you're not successful. When you fire people, you know, one, two, three in a row, it's because you hired terribly. And that's what USC did. So that doesn't preclude a coach from coming to USC. So just when people talk about that, if you fire someone now, then it's just going to, no, it's not going to look bad. You can still get great coaches. Listen to Bruce Feldman or Stuart Mandel or whoever you want to listen to, you know, Dennis Dodd. They think that USC is an amazing job. And it is. USC hasn't been hiring like it is an amazing job. And here J.K. McKay go on Mason and Ireland and say, there wasn't a lot of interest. Well, there wasn't. I mean, that's just protecting Pat and the choices they made. They made, in my opinion, they made those choices because they were familiar. They were close to them. There was people that they knew that control. Going out and getting a Chip Kelly or a Chris Peterson is scary because they're going to come in and they're going to probably tell you a lot of the things you're doing are stupid and wrong. And do you want to hear that? No, you've had this kind of country club thing going on where everything's hunky-dory and great. Um, you bring in someone that's going to be a, an 
an ass kicker and do things his own way, it's changing the culture. And it's probably changing the way you do your job too. And so in my opinion, USC was trying to keep it tight, keep it in the family. It's not going to be that big of a change. Yeah, were you trying to recreate the Pete Carroll stuff? Yeah, I think to a certain extent, but it's more about you didn't reach out, branch out far from your tree. And Clay Helton is about as close to the tree as you can get, the inner circle person. Um, so you talk about changing the culture. Clay Helton can't change the culture. He was in the culture. He's part of the culture. He's been there for six years. He's changed some things, but it's, it's, you know, window dressing. You get someone in that's done this before somewhere else, knows what works, knows what doesn't, brings in his own system. It's not guaranteed to succeed, but you're giving yourself such a better chance to succeed. And that's what I think. So, wow. All right, there's one more. Um, I like that one, Justin, though, about the uh, successful head coaches fitting into a couple of different categories. And I agree. And uh, unfortunately, Clay Helton didn't fit in either one of those categories. So that's that's a failure on the administration, just in a hiring failure. Um, and it's funny that Ed Orgeron, when he was around, and I think I talked about this with Dan Weber yesterday, um, people hated the fact that Ed Orgeron, you know, failed at Old Miss and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think because you've been a head coach before, it's, you're better that you could learn. Now it's no guarantee. And I think that was too, USC would have been too big of a job for Ed Orgeron just hiring off the street. But the situation, I did feel like it would work. And, and some people disagree with me, but I feel if he was hired, he would still be the head coach at USC. USC football would be in a better position. Now would they fight for championships? I don't know, but I think they would certainly have been better off than hiring Sark. Um, and, and all that. We don't need to rehash all that stuff, but I think you're two good interim coaches and you, you hired the wrong one. It's just what USC has been doing lately, making the wrong decision at every single turn. Should you hire this guy? Should you fire that guy? Blah, blah, blah. They just always have made the wrong decision. And it's, you know, that's, it's on the administration and, you know, we'll see. Maybe Lin Swan can change all that. Um, but he's going to have to because there's been so many bad decisions. One last thing. Uh, Russ in Orange County said, and I got this on Twitter and stuff too. Why is Justin Wilcox as Wisconsin's defensive, Wisconsin's defensive coordinator? Why is he killing it with a defensive team that may not have as highly recruited guys as USC? And, uh, why was his defense so ineffective at USC? Is it the difference, the coaching staff, or maybe it's the head coach? Thanks, Russian, Russ in Orange County. It's a good question. You know, Wisconsin's, you know, doing really well this year and. Uh, you know, the defense is doing well. I think a couple of things. One, I think Will Cox's philosophy didn't work great at USC. USC was more of a collection of athletes than a cohesive team, defensive team. And what he would do is change the, the defense every week. Um, you know, you were, you were trying to mimic what was going on, uh, you know, to, to match up against whatever offense you were playing that week. And I think, the athletes USC had were more about, I think it's just better with a Clancy scheme where you're just kind of letting guys go after it. And they're not thinking every play, they're doing stuff. Now, he came into a situation where he followed an amazing defensive coordinator in Dave Aranda uh, at Wisconsin. So how much success now is built on what, you know, you had a great defensive coordinator uh, the years before, I think some of it for sure. Um, we'll see. I mean, um, you know, and I think a Wisconsin team where you, it's more about playing together as a team, team philosophy and things like that. I think he's a better fit there 
that he was at USC. And I think the culture before, you know, even Wilcox got there, what were you doing? Um, they haven't been developing players as much. It's like guys come in and they're as good as they were as a, as a high school recruit and that's it. Um, and I think in a place like Wisconsin, you're not getting as many top high school recruits. So you have to develop them. You saw that like at Boise State and things like that. Um, so I think a lot of that factors in. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's doing really well there. I think you have to wait and see a couple of years too when, you know, more of the guys that they've recruited for him are in there. Uh, it's they've, you know, that the, the starters are all been under learning from him as opposed to they're kind of taking over, you know, and finishing off with Aranda did stuff like that. So we'll see, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been pretty amazing what, what they've been able to, to do there and keep it going because they've had some coaching changes with head coach and defensive coordinator and they're still, uh, doing well. Woo. All right, man. That was a long ass solo podcast hour and 15 minutes or so. So, uh, yeah, tried to, I want so we had so many questions. I tried to get to all of them. I apologize if there's any I missed. I think we got to all of them. We played a lot of voicemails. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoyed it. I did not take any breaks. I did not pause this at all. This was just an hour and 15 minutes straight of talking. So, um, yeah, hope it was good. I think we're going to try to get shotgun Spratling on this week. Um, his, uh, distribution chart should be out by now by the time you play this we'll be heading into practice so i'll try to get him on wednesday maybe get a special guest or something later on in the week uh, i'd like to, i'll call bruce feldman he might be able to come on and talk about the less miles thing and all that and ed Ordron and, and what it all means for usc if, if there's a change there and things like that so whew, hope you guys enjoyed it this is a long podcast i hope you got you get to listen to all those voicemails you can hear in the usc fans what they feel. Obviously, they're not real happy. And of course, going to try to right the ship this weekend against Arizona State. So thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to listen to the Peristyle Podcast. And we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.